Have you ever had sex with a Greek god? Put that pussy in an oracular shrine. It's Trexticles. Engage. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Trexticles. I am your host, Pat Ryan. With me, as always, is the unflappable Jake Fitzenrider. Jake, how's it going? Oh, it's going excellent. Um, I do need to just ask you next time, uh, just for our listeners, when I'm, when Pat does that uh, little stinger at the beginning of the episode, he doesn't warn me <laughs> about what he's going to say. So um, I'm actually, I just literally uh, spit. <laughs> uh, some diet soda all over my uh, expensive microphone. Thank you, Pat. Yeah, you no need problem. To next time. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about it when I was uh, driving home tonight. I just thought it'd be. I don't know why. Like as I was thinking about this episode, I'm like, "Have you ever had sex with a pharaoh?" And <laughs> only because that is one of the most bonkers lines uh, from any rap song, new or old. Mm. And what is more bonkers than? This episode of Star Trek, the original series, Who Mourns for Adonis, is what we're going to be watching tonight. Um, mm-hmm. Another one of the episodes um, that that Jake so poignantly pointed out in one of our earlier episodes is that TOS loves the omnipotent dick. And th- this exactly is the word, uh, the, exactly the words I use to describe it. Omnipotent dick, possibly omnipotent dickhead. Ooh. Not, not quite sure what the official term is going to sure, be. Sure, sure. So, uh, again, yeah, Who Mourns for Adonis is the episode. It is season something, episode something. Look it up yourself. Uh, this episode. Season two, episode two. Oh, there we go. Thank you right. for, for doing the work for our, our lovely listeners. So, um, yeah, Jake, you said that this was one of the, the earlier episodes that you've seen, um, I guess in, in your adult life, was it? Yeah, pretty much. This was, uh, when I was younger, obviously I was a, uh, you know, as I believe you were born eighty five yeah. down there. Mm-hmm. So when we grew up as kids, it was next generation and beyond. Oh yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I saw some TOS. I saw one of the movies. I believe my, uh, because as a kid I was such a big Star Wars fan. My dad was like, "Oh, you have to watch Star Trek." Sure. And when I when I was about seven years old, I watched two or three episodes, and I was like, "What is this crap?" <laughs> you know. And over the next handful of years, I saw a few and uh-huh. just kind of here and there. Uh, but then I, I didn't even pay any attention to it for years. And then probably about seven or eight years ago, uh, I was off, I was living up in Wisconsin off of college. And as I usually, as usually happens, I couldn't sleep. And it was about, you know, 4 a.m. Sure. And, uh, I was just flipping through channels and I happened to catch the very beginning of the, the cold open of this. And I was like, ah, oh, this looks interesting. I'll actually give it a shot this time. And as soon as uh, this episode was over, I flipped on the guide channel. And I saw that there were about four more in a row, and I just didn't <laughs> sleep at all that night. And I then just, your it, love for Trek was kindled, rekindled. Yeah, I will just say kindled. It's sure. a weird word, but um, yeah, this was kind of what started my whole uh, appreciation for TOS. Yeah, I just I was thinking back to what my first episode was. Um, N- not even in my adult life. I was just trying to think of what the first one was altogether. Mm. And memory serving, like, this is a, a gold mine for the first episode of Trek to watch ever. And mine was Arena. Oh, really? Yeah, the, mm. that big, goofy fight with the Gorn. Oh, God. Oh, man. <laughs> and, and that I, must have stuck somehow. I, I did grow up watching uh, TNG, as mm, I think as anybody I... from our generation did. Mm-hmm. Um. But, yeah, as far as TOS episodes go, I think Arena may have been my first. And hopefully one day we'll get to do an episode about um, about that particular episode because it is fantastic. So, well, the question is, uh, did did that uh, start your love with Star Trek or did you think it was the worst thing you've ever seen? I was little, little and stupid, so who knows what I thought about it. Um, I, I know that one of the earlier episodes of TNG that got me really interested was... Um, not Data's Day, but it was the one where they were questioning whether or not he's a crew member or a piece of equipment. Um, mm. Ah, shit, can't remember the name. Doesn't doesn't matter. Uh, I'm sure someone could tell me. Mm. But it um, 
Yeah, that that's where it really struck me because I really connected with the character of Data. I I can't tell you why. Maybe because he was the the comic relief, or because he was a robot, or wh- whatever the case may be. That's what really wrote me into to I guess the Star Trek universe as a whole, specifically to TNG. Well, I could see that. As, when I was a teenager, I think it was I really related to well a lot of characters in TNG because it was great, even though it comes from the strangest place that we can't really relate to. It was so many of those characters are fundamentally going through some sort of identity crisis, whether it's data sure. data is the obvious one, but Worf, obviously, mm. you know, that's sort of really as stupid as it sounds as a teenager, when you're trying to figure out who you are, you can relate to other characters, whether they're, you know, Klingons and robots doesn't matter. Cause they're just trying to figure out who the hell they are too. Oh yeah. And, and that's mm-hmm. actually a really good, uh, I hadn't even thought about that. Maybe that is why, a lot of us have connected with the Trek oh, yeah. universe as it is now and as it, you know, existed back when we were younger is because there is so much humanity in non-human characters, mm-hmm. which is like, oh, because, you know, not to sound too cheesy, but sure, we all feel like we're not necessarily an alien, but different than a lot of people. Right. And, and, and well, having and that. Oh, I, I agree. And there's also the more overarching thing that the entire, you know, every Star Trek episode, movie, anything mm-hmm. that we've seen is basically just a macro version of that and that it's humanity in general trying to figure out who they are and their place in the universe and how they're going to, you know, how they're going to work and uh, work with or against a world that's essentially foreign to them. Yeah. But the beginning. And I think that's, you know, it sounds weird to call Star Trek like a coming of age sort of thing, but it is. It's a, it's a, it's an entire species coming of age story absolutely you know? so uh and, and before we hit play on the episode here i just want to point something out to our listeners out there I, i'm not being sponsored by this i will if you've got the money but um for any of you folks out there that like video games uh, especially of the 8-bit kind of retro feely sort of games there is one that is perfect for all of us trekkies and it is called ftl faster than light mm-hmm. this game is a very 8-bit from the soundtrack to the looks of things to uh, the simplicity of the game. You were in charge of a spaceship, and th- this game feels so much like a Star Trek game that they should just reskin it and say, yeah, it's, it was Star Trek the whole time. Um, but in this game, you control a ship, and you can send crew members over to repair stuff. You could fire the weapons. You can repair the shields or divert power to the warp core or the FTL drive. It is such a dream come true for anybody looking for a truly fantastic Star Trek video game. Mm. Even though this isn't specifically a Star Trek video game, it is absolutely the best. So I just, will have to check that out. I haven't even heard of this. This is the first time hearing of this. Oh my gosh, yeah. I've been playing the hell out of it, just hours at a time. And you don't, like... It's not like you save the game and come back later. Like, you're not going to live that long. And that's the thing that makes it even, you become determined. That you're like, oh no, no, fuck that, fuck that. I'm going to get, I'm going to beat my old score. I'm going to get further. I'm going to escape this. And like, there's all these different things where you run into someone and they want to trade with you or there's a slaving ship that will buy you off by giving you another crew member or you can fight them because they're doing the wrong thing. Like, all these things that feel very much Star Trek are, are included in this, and it is just a treat for anybody out there that likes video games. Even if you have been looking for a casual video game to play, this is definitely going to be something top of your list, and it's cheap, too. I think it's like 10 bucks, which I would say easily worth it. Easily, easily worth it. I love I love that we're, our society is going to that point where, uh, you know, you can download entire high-quality computer games for 5 bucks, right. or, uh, you know... Um, even though this podcast for right now so far is free, you know, things like you can download an entire series, like the Ricky Gervais podcast, best right. podcast ever, you know, best selling ever. And it's like, oh, you can get a whole season for five bucks. Right. Or you can get, you know, this game's 10 bucks or things like that. I, I am very excited about the fact because, you know, growing up like we did when we had to pay, you know, $30 for a movie and 70 for a video game. Right. This feels good. Well, and I love seeing all the, the indie stuff that like, you know, five dudes that wanted to make a game that was what they wanted. Mm. And now they get to because we have all this, like, this great freedom of creativity all over the Internet. And it's such a fantastic oh, thing. Congratulations to the people who made this game. I, I know the game is selling like mad. Everybody on my Steam friends list is playing it for hours a day. Oh, so, so it's on Steam then? 
It is, yeah. So I, definitely worth the the ten bucks that you'll shell out for it. And you know what? It, this is these are indie people. These are gamers like us, and and it's great to see them doing such a great job. So, it, but it's all. I, I will just personally say it's it's not just gamers like us. It's gamers with like us that have the talent and vision to create a video game. Whereas, yeah, I no, I could never. Do I, I personally am the only. I'm the kind of person that only has the talent and vision to uh, talk about video games like this. <laughs> you know, but. Yeah. So even more power to them. They're just Absolutely. better people than I am. So, well, yeah. Now with all that uh, nonsense uh, behind us, I say we go right into the episode here. You can watch That's along good. with us. You don't need to. You can watch it beforehand, afterward. Let us inspire you to watch the episode. I don't care. Uh, we're gonna watch through it. Uh, talk about some points that we thought were interesting, thought were funny, this, that, or the other thing. But again, like if you want to turn it on, you can pause us for a sec. You can turn on your your netflix or throw in your dvd and you can watch along with us so i think i'm gonna hit the play button you get your finger on the trigger yes sir all right three two one and go uh maybe maybe there we go Ugh! again with the damn enhanced version mm. that was apparently uh one thing that i I didn't recognize it, uh, cause I've only seen, uh, this, recently I've only seen this episode through Netflix, but apparently mm-hmm. a lot of the effects as far as what's about to happen were changed drastically. There, there are certain scenes where I can tell, and that, I don't know, that bugs me. I mean, I know it's not bad, they're just making it a little bit prettier for the people that are watching it, you know, on mm-hmm. Blu-ray or on DVD or whatever. Right. But at the same time, you know what, we kind of love the cheese too. I mean, Lucas definitely has taken a lot of shit for this, like mm-hmm. trying to fix, quote unquote, fix things. Right. I gotta, I gotta give uh, Scotty a lot of credit here for uh, this is one of the handful of times we see him being a uh, pretty slick. You know, you know that, that's actually thing. there are a couple episodes where he's pretty slick. I mean, he's always totally into the ladies. And interesting side note: my girlfriend has the biggest lady boner for Scotty. Which that's. Is, so random. I hate to use that term, but we we were watching. I forget what episode. I think it was like we were just watching the Trouble with Tribbles because she had never seen it before, and she's like, "Oh man, Mister Scott's really handsome." And then, like as the episode went on, she kept getting cruder and cruder about right, what she would do with Five Minutes Alone with Scotty, mm-hmm. and and I support it. I support <laughs> it wholeheartedly. As long as Scotty doesn't know. Hey, I get it. Oh, That's good. Sorry. That's um, good. Well, let's just not, uh, don't let her watch any of the later, uh, movies. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like, was Chekhov always, uh, yellow shirt? I thought he was red shirt for some reason. I thought, I thought he had a red too. I'm not, they we're, this that is one area so where we're the, the worst Trekkies possible in that we don't know, or at least I personally don't know all the details of what all the shirts mean and, uh, when they changed, et cetera. Uh, I think red is tactical, yellow is either engineering or, um, uh, uh helmsman, obviously. Yeah, and then blue is science. Mm. <clears throat> well, they like to, they like to the take characters and especially in the original series and just sort of jump them into a different role. Well, out yeah. Of nowhere. Uh, cause, uh, what, what was, um, Sulu? He was something else. He was, cause now he's the helmsman. But, Wasn't he some sort of science officer? Yeah, he was... Uh, I can't remember what it was. But, like, something that would not make him a good helmsman. Right. I always love the sort of, like, how um, Spock always... Or even... Um, oh, what's her name? Uh, hot lady at controls. Um, Nichelle Man? Nichols. Oh, oh. Um, Uhura. Yeah, thank you. They, they're always looking into these, like, these viewmasters. Mm. Yeah, they've they've like, never uh, explained what they really do, and plus they always have gigantic view screens everywhere. Yeah, yeah I wonder they, what they're actually looking at. I don't know. Because it seems like all, everything important is just on the screen. That like, seems giant, like one of those things. hands on a giant screen. You, you're right. You, know. <laughs> you should be able to see that. Um, and you, you brought this up on um, what may end up being a lost episode of this podcast, but... Yeah. Uh, you brought up how even in the newer series, you sort of hate the way the view screens look. Yeah, they never look quite right to me. And I actually, watching this episode, because uh, 
I mean, I've seen most of these episodes, but once we decide to do a show on one, I end up watching it three or four times in a row. Yeah. And um, watching this one of the times, I just watching that intro with the green hand and everything, I was thinking that actually the view screens in TOS don't look particularly bad compared to They're even the best Enterprise. out of all of them. Yeah, I, 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 you'd think everything else just stepped up a lot, but that's one oh, thing sure. that didn't really. I think it. That, yeah, the view screens always look like um, I don't know, like out of an '80s movie, which mm-hmm. is funny because TOS is from you know mid to late '60s. Right. Uh, that you would think it would look terrible, but actually it looks pretty natural for what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, even even the scenes when they're talking to different ships on mm-hmm. on the screen, it doesn't look terrible. Whereas uh, when you look at it in <laughs> TNG or Voyager or uh, DS9. It looks like something you would see on a screen waiting in line at Disney World. Like really <laughs> well, shitty like production. Disney value. Disney World when we were kids. Sure. I I love that shot of the the hand holding the Enterprise though. I just want yeah, to I, I don't know if uh, that's clearly enhanced. Yes, it is. But I'm, I'm not sure. I the still think that's a really cool. It, as ridiculous as it looks, it does look kind of cool. Oh yeah. Man, Uhura was hot. No kidding. <laughs> Miss uh, Miss Nipples, if <laughs> yes. you're nasty. Miss, Miss Nichelle Nipples. Yes. I always wanted, um, and this this is gonna sound ridiculous, because uh, this has nothing to do with this episode only, because I was watching all the episodes with Harry Mud recently. Uh, mm. I I want an episode where there's like all the guys on the ship are surrounded by women, and the only person not affected is Sulu. Just like where they, they write it off as some other reason, mm. but I would just love to have that subtle nod. Yeah, that would be kind of awesome. Not so subtle. Yeah, well, but I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to speculate or, uh, treculate. There you go. On his, uh, personal life, but I actually don't know, uh, his whole history regarding, you know, did, uh, you know, was were people aware? Like, was he outwardly? You know, was he out at that point? Did people know? Did no his friends idea. know? I don't I have no idea. I from everything I've heard, it seemed like everybody who was close with him knew mm. that he was out, but he never really made it a big deal, especially because back then, sixteen sixties or seventies, you know, that was a big deal. Mm. Well, he still doesn't. I mean, the only time he makes it a big deal now is when he's, uh, you know, trying to promote the. The, obvious the the cause is a very sure, noble sure. and awesome cause but he doesn't make it a big deal anyway well, i don't think and the, you he's know? one of those people that just stands out like he's awesome because he's george takei it doesn't matter what right. his orientation is or or you mm-hmm. know any of these uh, he's awesome because he's this old dude that's not afraid to make dirty jokes and be a a goof and he's great to the star trek fans if you like all the stories i've heard from conventions and stuff like that like he's he and LeVar Burton are the guys you want to see because okay. they are just like genuine dudes that they know that they're from Star Trek. They're okay with being from Star Trek. Mm. So I'd love to, I'd, I'd love to chill with Will Wheaton too. I think yeah. he's probably got that too. He seems like a really nice guy. It's weird that I, uh, <laughs> sorry, we're, we're at the floating head on the screen part. Oh, I know. And that's, uh, yeah, that doesn't look great. But I've seen worse. As weird as that sounds, like this doesn't look awful. It's you know disembodied head, which is cheesy enough on its own. But as far as straight up looks go, like mm. production values, it's not bad. It's not bad. Well, I think part of the reason they made him look that disembodied head is because obviously it's not. It's not like you know next generation where it's webcam to webcam. This is him yeah. projecting himself to the ship. Sure. So he can do whatever he can do whatever he wants. So I just assumed he was doing this to be like creepier and more all powerful seeming, you know. Sure. This episode also in a little bit uh is gonna bring up some uh interesting religious tones that you don't see in a lot of Star Trek. Yeah. Which well, I they, they like. always love to hit on it, but never quite that up front. They always like yeah. to sort of skirt around it, you know. Yeah, and and at one point you actually um you hear Kirk directly say that he he does believe in a god, mm. which was uh, very unprecedented, especially considering the rest of the the series. You just don't get that. Mm. Well, I, I would imagine too that when this uh, any any show that was going to tackle religion, even if it's in this case, you know, pretty much an archaic religion, sure, 
But anything that was going to tackle it head on like this, they had to give some sort of nod to be like, no, our hero believes in God. Don't worry. Sure. You know. But also thinking just throughout history, I imagine the character of Captain Kirk seems like he would be that sort of person. Like not a religious person, but definitely a believer. Oh, you know sure. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some sort of like deist kind of, you know. Yeah, no, he obviously he obviously believes in you know some sort of fate destiny sort of you know he doesn't he doesn't he's not the he's not Spock he's not pure logic pure skepticism he's got that yeah. you know <laughs> I swear they only did that just so like that that Nimoy got the you know got the day off or got that week off <laughs> and for those that might not be watching it's the um, the quote-unquote Adonis character who's not actually Adonis. Uh, he's Apollo. Makes, right, which make, or claims to be Apollo, which sure. makes the episode title strange to me. Sure. But uh, he says that he wants to speak with the crew except for Spock because the pointed ears remind him of Pan, the goat god. <laughs> I think Nimoy uh, had some vacation time coming up. Yeah. A oh, random side note looking at Spock right here. Sure. Uh, we're playing... Uh, this Thursday, my band's playing a, a concert, a sort of event that's put on by the rock station in town called the Vulcan. Oh, really? And, uh, I am definitely, definitely going to bust out my... Uh, <laughs> Your Spock shirt? My Spock's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. I'm going to be performing performing a bunch of rock songs for the rock station wearing <laughs> a Star Trek shirt. Good, good. I, I, uh, I'm going to rip the sleeves off, though. So that's pretty, That is pretty hardcore. If you can get a picture of of that, you definitely should. Oh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna work on that. Okay. Don't worry. We'll get that for the site. Mm. I can't. I still can't decide if this is one of my most favorite sets from TOS or if it's like the worst by far. It's it's silly looking, but it as works. Far though. as just straight up set the design goes for the time, it's not. Terrible. It sort of gets the whole idea across pretty well, but it's just sure. strange. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's even stranger, though? And the, God bless the internet for me getting tidbits like this. No. Do you know who the original actor that they wanted to uh, play Apollo was? No. John Voight. Really? Yes. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to have seen that. That would have worked very well. What a strange I don't, I mean, choice. I don't actually quite remember what John, well, remembers the wrong word. Uh, but I don't know what John Voight really looked like in 1967 yeah. or 8 or whatever this is. But he's wow. obviously a fantastic actor. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be, oh, wow, okay. Okay. <laughs> I, it, one thing I've always loved about Chekhov is they play him like he is an eight-year-old that somehow got lost on the ship. He's always no, so I, clueless and just speaking his mind and just like, "Oh, I'm sorry, Captain," and like you know, that was a spot-on impression, by the way. Uh, perfect. Well, that was, I think this is. It was unintentional, obviously, because I just watched this. This was the first episode I saw, just because it happened to be on TV. Sure. But this was, uh, this is one, at least to me, I don't, you know, I don't have a great grasp of every single episode in the timeline, but this is, early, you know, early second season. But this is one of the earlier examples to me where all of the supporting characters and all the rest of the crew are really starting to take shape and become that individual that they became known for. You yeah. Know? Cause it, Throughout it, the first season, sometimes it seemed like they were sort of grasping, like, oh, what you know, what's Spock going to do? Uh, what role is Chekhov going to play, et cetera. Yeah, it, it was largely the Kirk and Spock show. Right. And, and at then, this point, they started to have that interplay, yeah. and they all started to have that, sometimes in Chekhov's case, obviously, goofy, but they all had that persona at this point. Well, and, and about now is also the time where you're starting to really get a feel for who Bones is. And mm-hmm. him, like, being a uh, kind of aligning with us, being a strong skeptic where there's science behind everything. There's an explanation for everything. Mm-hmm. And and I kind of love that character for it because he's not, like, there's nothing that's out of the realm of reality. He just needs to grasp it before it, it becomes anything real in his mind. Right. Well, that was one of the most interesting things of the 
TOS character interplay, I think, was the Bones and Spock thing, obviously. Mm-hmm. But particularly for that reason, because, like you said, Bones is not a, you know, he's not against logic. In fact, he's a very no, logical, no, no. you know, he's a man of science completely. But, you know, he clashes with Spock on uh, a bunch of matters that, you know, well, personality largely, clashes constantly. But at the core, it's like... I think it comes down to gut. Like, right. And Bones believes in that. Yeah, and that's something that Spock probably cannot even understand. Right. Uh, this is actually very well shot. The uh, overgrown Apollo. Mm-hmm. It like looks that, way better than it probably should have for the time. Yeah, when you look back at movies from the 60s, uh, specifically like monster movies when they're trying to make something look huge, mm-hmm. that usually is awful. And this, oh, yeah. like, of course it looks cheesy. It's a superimposed giant in a scene of small people. But mm-hmm. at, at the same time, if you're looking at it for what it is, not bad. And and I'm I'm going back, and the more I'm looking at it, I'm kind of shocked and delighted by, you know, the show gets dicked on a lot for having its low production values. It's mm-hmm. not really that low. I mean, it's outdated, definitely. Right. But it's not the worst. Well, I would go so far as to say, and this is... I don't know who's going to agree with me or if I'm yeah. going to offend some people. I would say relative to the timing, relative for what everything, relative to its competition and everything else that's going sure. on, I think TOS has the best production values out of anything. Sure. I think, like, I think that this series had better production values compared to everything else at that time period than, say, Next Generation did for the late 80s. Or things like that. See, now that would be kind of fun to... And well, I'm trying to think of the shows that were coming out around the same time, like late 80s. Right. That, uh, namely action TV shows. Mm, they were kind of a... Seem, I'm trying to think about it. It seems like they were kind of dying off at that point. Yeah. Well, because I think like Dragnet was around the time of TOS, and that didn't have much going for... I mean, it, it was a decently written show, decently directed, uh, but as far as like set design and, and effects and stuff, I don't think it really had much going. I think Get Smart uh, was around this time, too. Yeah, yeah. But that's way more like... That's a comedy, which means who gives a shit what it looks like, as long as it's funny. Right. Uh, Secret Agent, or Danger Man, whatever. It was probably around this time. Oh, yeah, it would have been. Speaking of this, just popped in my head. I mm. I really think that Agamemnon is the coolest name that humanity has ever come <laughs> up with. I've been telling every girl that I've ever dated for the past like ten years. I've, if I ha- I've told them this is my one deal breaker. If we uh. have a son, it's Agamemnon. We can call him Aggie. That's fine. <laughs> you know. Oh God. Oh, I hope you don't have kids. Now the worst part is they always think I'm joking. <laughs> Some some lucky young woman's gonna get a very unpleasant surprise <laughs> in the delivery room. Surprise, Agamemnon. Hey, Aggie's not bad. You can name a kid Aggie. Yeah, if you want his ass to get kicked. Eh, whatever. <laughs> you kidding? I grew up around the time uh being little when everybody yelled it's Pat because that damn oh, character on SNL. Good point. Good point. I got, I grew up being called Jake the Snake, but that was after a professional wrestler. So yeah, and that's actually bad. awesome. Right. Yeah, so now we're continuing the trend of Star Trek having unfairly attractive women. That's another thing that I think TOS did better than any of the later series. Yeah, yeah, the sex symbols in, in TNG don't so much hold up. Because mm-hmm. I'm looking at the, the women that show up in this show, and they are just like, like, even by today's standards, like, 14 on a scale from 1 to 10. Oh, yeah, it's ungodly. Whereas get it, every, ungodly. Ha, I get ha. it, good one. Uh, whereas some of the women in, like, TNG um, kind of had that late 90s lady perm fro, <laughs> and which doesn't really do it for me anymore. I don't even know if it did back then. Well, I would have been, like, 10 back then, so I mean. <laughs> yeah, everything did it for you at that point. Yeah, whatever. Doorknob would probably turn you on at that point. Look, I've got some hot doorknobs. Mm. <laughs> Don't think about that. Uh, I love that they do this. This I've picked 
two episodes, I believe. Mm. Out of all out of all the episodes we've done commentary for, I've picked two. Okay. And in both of them, a ridiculously hot crew member runs into an arrogant, sort of omnipotent dick that puts her in very revealing clothing. Yeah, and this is one of the hottest outfits I think maybe all of TOS had. Oh yeah. Like well, this... you know, I, I mean, gamesters of Triskelion. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But this is up there for sure. <laughs> Now, are you talking about her outfit or uh, Apollo's? <laughs> <laughs> you weren't very clear on that. Yeah. One. I'm, I'm not going to answer that. All right. And, you know, maybe it was just a, a thing of the times. I, I feel like the, the women of the 60s and 70s were just really, really attractive. Yeah, I actually, I've had this conversation with some people before. Like, I think yeah. that, Partially it's style, and partially I think it's just, you know, societal preference, but. Sure. Like, you know, hot women of the 60s are just much more timeless looking to me than like the hotties of the 80s. Sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and even if you look at like the, what's considered super hot nowadays, like mm. the women back then had a couple more pounds on them. Not that they were chubby or anything like that, but I mean. You, it's not that you were seeing their ribs or anything like that. And that, that still totally hot. By today's standards, still oh, yeah. totally hot. Then even if, if you look at the guys, Mr. Scott had a few extra pounds and my girlfriend wouldn't stop talking about boning him, so. Boning. Bones is a character. Oh, there we go. Yeah, I'm sure that fan No, we're guys, we're guys. I mean, we can get away with a few extra pounds. No, that's true. I mean, Nah, we can't, we can't be models with a few extra pounds, but we can, <laughs> we can get the job done. Yeah, as I mean. long as we have a decent personality. So we're, mm. we're both screwed. Yeah. I'm just, well, yeah, I'm just a dreadful person. <laughs> I mean, even if I looked like Matthew McConaughey, I still wouldn't get laid. <laughs> Actually, I, no, I get laid. I just, I, I, I just have trouble getting the, you know, the call back. They, yeah, they wouldn't call you back. Right. I'm very good at saying something that I think is hilarious and apparently everyone else thinks is terrible. <laughs> I feel like rat. Bones never aged. Like I, I was just, just going to ask how old it was he in this show. I don't know. I have he was no somewhere idea. between 25 and 70. Yeah, I I honestly have no clue. Because like I just some, went back some and angles I watched, he looks young, some angles he looks old. I watched Rathacon and Search for Spock, uh, mm-hmm. back to back. Um, but he doesn't look that much different. He didn't gain any weight. He barely no, he wrinkled. Older, His hair much. was a little bit lighter, or like just graying slightly. Right. Okay, now this is actually something that, uh, while admittedly cheesy, is also awesome. The ship slowly mm. being squeezed by this hand. Uh, that is mm. terrifying. Oh, well, yeah. Because that's a personification of your own death. Like, the ship mm. is literally being crushed to death. And that, I like, watching this again from a more critical approach, I'm thinking, like, that's horrifying. The idea oh, yeah. of an, a physical hand crushing you to death. Mm-hmm. So, like, well done on writing that in. Yeah, they were, I mean, uh, they didn't do much with it as sure. far as being, uh, scary in the old series, like the original series. Right. But when they did, they were, I, I hate to make this comparison. Well, I don't know why I hate to. But it <laughs> reminds me a lot of the more modern, uh, horror type episodes of like Doctor Who. Okay. And that they're able to be scary without being gory or without being jumpy just by playing on very fundamental fears or very, you know, things that are just, sure you know, play on our basis instincts, things that are terrifying to us, even if, even if they're played off, you know, kind of cheesy and the production values aren't necessarily all there. Well, I mean, it's what's, whatever is in your head is always scarier than what's on the screen, which is why when, Mm. when it comes to horror, I prefer to never see the monster. Right. You probably loved Cloverfield, huh? Loved it, yeah. Well, mm. until the end when they showed the monster, I'm like, well, that's yeah. Godzilla. Yeah, but they, they, I think they showed just, just enough of him to still make it scary. Yeah, with that, with that movie specifically, they reinvented the wheel as far as the giant monster attacking the city, mm-hmm. which I appreciated. 
Speaking of which, I would kind of love to see the new Abrams movie kind of reinvent some of the races. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing a different take on Klingons. Uh, allegedly, there will be Klingons in the new movie, but I mean, that's all rumor mill bullshit right, that right. we've been hearing plenty of. Um, mm. But I almost wouldn't mind seeing them kind of reworking it, maybe making something a little bit less subtle than the the giant butt cheek foreheads that they give. I'm assuming you mean more subtle? <laughs> Uh yeah, that's the okay. I wasn't sure. I'm I'm I running a little giant sleep. butt cheek forehead was very subtle. Uh, <laughs> no, Make I, it I, bigger. I, that was one thing with that was weird going between all these series, and I'm surprised that it doesn't bother me, and I'm surprised even more surprised it doesn't bother a lot of other people. Mm. Is when they would do that when the new series would come around and there'd be almost a complete overhaul. Klingons are obvious the obvious example. Oh yeah, cause, but I mean, it didn't seem to Klingons in this series bother anybody. Just dudes with big eyebrows, right? Like it didn't really seem to bother people much, which is weird for as renowned as Trek fans are for well, being very very anal and picky. Like sure. they're like, ah, oh, that's fine. But, I mean, if if you look back, I mean, we didn't have a lot as far as practical effects go for makeup for alien yeah. races, especially ones that were especially humanoid. Right. Um, so it felt like when we first saw the Klingons in TNG that had the, the rippled forehead and, like, mm. you know, much more pronounced features that made them uniquely them, it was a nice step up. It's like, oh, we have the technology to do that now, or we have the right. advancements in makeup now to do that um, and have it be a week-to-week thing. And, and if I'm not mistaken, they actually uh, very slightly explain that, whereas there's some sort of uh, branching yeah, uh, yeah. evolutionary something or other going on where the ridges, not every Klingon has those ridges. Right. Even even in the TNG universe. Mm-hmm. Which, like, that's a good wave of the hand. Right. Yeah. It is like, hand wavy, but it's good enough. Yeah. Uh, no, another I question. I hate Chekhov's haircut. I just want to throw that out there. I, I almost said something about that earlier, that's where he's so... got, like, a helmet head with bangs. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. Also, what do tricorders do? Like, right there. What are they doing? Everything. <laughs> they do everything. Yeah, it goes back to what we were talking about the last time we talked about tricorders. They're just sonic screwdrivers. Pretty much, yeah. Well, I think, I mean, the other thing I think of whenever I see the tricorder and they just, it magically does everything. I just think of clearly, uh, Leela's in Futurama, her little wristband. Oh, yeah. Is direct, you know, direct sort of parody or homage to this. Well, and I think even Graining has admitted that, um, Futurama is just Star Trek. Star Trek that's funny. Mm. There have well, been so many things that he's ripped straight from, and shamelessly, like he's happy to admit mm. that he stole a lot of stuff from future or for Futurama from Trek. Oh yeah, and good um, on him. I mean, what a great like homage, I guess. Mm. Oh, I agree. Well, as a you know musician, and mm-hmm. just, I love the lightning effects on that. <laughs> uh, as a Someone that's been so involved in music and music production, audio production, all that stuff for so long, you know, just listening to Futurama specifically, but other shows like to play subtle nods to it, too. There's so many sound effects that have been reused from this show as an homage that, like, no one really catches. Like, all the, like, all the doors in uh, Futurama play the, or a sample from the doors from, you know, Star Trek, things like that, you know. Well, and you get even more of that um, in the episode that was uh, that included many of the members of TOS, and that's right, where, yeah, no, fan where no fan gone. has gone yeah. before. That's yeah. w- that may be one of my favorite episodes out of any TV show ever. Oh, it's amazing! It hits on so many great things to make fun of, like that you both love and hate from Star Trek, while mm-hmm. at the same time being a very solid episode of Futurama. So it kind of it was like one of those great crossover episodes where you got all your favorite characters, like all your action figures playing together. Hmm. Oh, exactly. Well, what's your uh, what's your girlfriend think about Welshy? <laughs> <laughs> that was that was probably my favorite joke. That was brilliant. Well, because it was such a Brady Bunch move. Like uh, they were clearly parodying both Star Trek and Brady Bunch. I just hmm. thought that was amazing that they did that. And and I think it was largely because I think at that point um, James Doohan had passed away. By that point, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I'm pretty sure that's correct. Yeah. 
And the thing is, I think so had um, DeForest Kelly. But I think they had him in the background, just didn't say anything about it. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's about the right time frame on yeah, that. I don't recall that character having any lines at all. And he was one of the earlier... Uh, yeah, he was. Sad passing on cases from this uh, show. Yeah. Now, just recently, didn't um, uh, Chekhov... Um, uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, but Chekhov got a, a star on the Walk of Fame in Hollywood. Did he really? Yeah. I did not know that. I hope he didn't show up with that haircut. Oh. <laughs> hey, you know, God love him if he still has enough hair to do that. Hmm. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I actually am just now realizing that I've, I've picked, like I said, two, maybe three episodes. Sure. But I, I know I picked two, and they these two are so similar in structure. Oh, very, yeah. The omnipotent being that turns out isn't quite exactly what what he was uh, what he appears to be what he portrays himself as yeah and then all of a sudden they find the one weakness and you know yeah but i mean i think it, it's kind of cool that this episode brings up um you know a, an explanation for what the greek gods could have been right i love ancient that actually. race Absolutely that had that. the ability to because if you look at the the Greek and Roman gods, they were all very specific. Like, oh, this guy mm. controlled the storm. This guy controlled the wind. This guy was in charge of love, or this that or the other thing. And what if it was just a race that had, uh, you know, abilities that humans couldn't comprehend? What else would you think they were? They they are gods. If you don't understand what what they are, right? Any sufficiently advanced technology is indiscernible from magic, as oh, yeah. the famous quote goes. But well, yeah, I love that because it's it makes a one of the things I I thought so awesome about the old, you know, Greek and Roman mythological gods is that they're gods in a lot of senses, but they're not gods in the sense that we think the Western world and the Abrahamic yeah. religions think of God. They're not omnipotent beings that exist outside the world. They're just extremely powerful badasses that exist in this world. Right. You know. Yeah. So that, they can I think be, this was a they really can be cool tricked. Take. They can be killed they can be all sorts of things and you know this puts a really cool i say i say use the word modern sparingly mm-hmm. because it is tos it's that old but still it puts a very cool modern spin on what uh interpretation on what they, that could have meant what that sure. could actually be yeah and then i'm sure that uh you know like the history channel or something like H and aliens probably has put forth that exact same hypothesis. I can honestly say I've never watched uh, any of that don't, show. Don't, 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 <laughs> it is, oh, it is painful. <laughs> it is fascinating and very upsetting at the same time. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, th- this is actually a very cool moment where they're, um, taking away his power. Mm. By not fearing him, not worshiping him, not paying any attention, right? And they they do a lot of cool things like this, where they try to trick superpowers or trick omnipotence mm. by using logic. And nine times mm. out of ten, it fails. But it's mm-hmm. usually a really interesting, like, well, what if that is the way that you undermine X, Y, and Z power? Right. Is just by thinking differently, reacting differently. Mm. And just how much of power is actually just perceived. Right. And they, especially in TOS, it's almost, well, and Next Generation, they, so much of it is just them figuring out how to play, uh, play off of somebody's arrogance. Sure. You know, it's really, uh, I don't think it's something that's been brought up much or spoken of much, but Mm -hmm. it seems like a lot of the writers and Roddenberry and everything just, uh, obviously there's certain sets of values that, we're always promoted, but I think that's sure. one one thing that come, rings through throughout is that the arrogant people always just get their ass kicked. Yeah, <laughs> like, with the exception of maybe a captain. Kirk's kind of arrogant, but sure. But I, oh, I'd say arrogant Kirk's more cocky good guy. than arrogant. Yeah, you know, he he still believes in his crew and everyone around him. He's just cocky. Yeah, I I think he's one of those people that knows why he's captain, mm. which is something that um. I think he has, not necessarily above all the other captains. I mean, a lot of them aren't super comfortable in their place or they're, you know, 
one thing or another. Kirk seems like, yeah, I'm captain because I deserve it because I'm a lot better than a lot of people are at this job. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's always the impression I've gotten from him, which I, which is like something that everyone kind of loves about him is like he is yeah. arrogant, but he's the best for a reason. Mm-hmm. Well, that's something as a, you know, just diehard sports fan, especially football, sure. that I think you really see a lot in that is that people that there's a certain level of success. Like if you're, say, in sports, mm-hmm. if you're pretty good, even if you're a professional, you're making millions of dollars, but you're not the best and you make some trash talk comments or something arrogant, sure. a lot of times people just jump all over you. Mm-hmm. But when the person, you know, when somebody starts making those terrible comments like i'm the i'm the greatest you're worthless and then they are the greatest everyone's just kind of like okay you know it's a lot less uh off-putting sure <clears throat> excuse me i could have definitely hit the sneeze button on that mm-hmm. <laughs> professionalism uh, uh, it's like i think there's a certain level of uh respect uh, that uh we all have for people who recognize their abilities whether it's their shortcomings or their talents. Sure. You know, and we don't get upset when someone awesome says they're awesome because we're like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's almost upsetting when you see someone who's really good at something that kind of plays it off all humble. You're like, shut up, dude. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of those things where um, I'm trying to remember, was Michael Jordan really humble or was he kind of cocky about things? Because he had to have known that he was the best. Oh, he he was great in that he definitely had both. Okay. Um, Where he was, like, cool about it, but it's like, no, seriously, I, I really yeah. am the best at this. Yeah, like, uh, you know, off the court, he was friends with a lot of his, you know, a lot of, like, players on rival teams. Like, he would, you know, he was always playing golf with, like, Charles Barkley, even when they were, you know, mortal enemies on the court. Sure. But, like, at the same time, he was famous for his his trash talk was just awful. Like, you yeah. know, uh, there was some famous thing where some uh, he was shooting a free throw and it was some rookie's first game. Yeah. And it was something like the rookie started talking shit to him. Mm-hmm. And Michael Jordan just looks at him, closes his eyes and drains a free throw. And then that goes, that's how be, you shoot, kid. That would you be know, amazing Stuff like that. Like, he's he was a cocky bastard, but. He, he's the Kirk to the, versus the Apollo. Okay. He was a cocky bastard, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't an arrogant prick about it. Yeah. He was just like, I'm awesome. Here's you know? why. Right. I'm going to prove it to you. Yeah. And, and I guess I, I would prefer that to mm. a lot of the, the showboating I see in sports where like, I'm the best of this, I'm the best of that. And then like, they have a terrible month. Right. Whereas when, when you're looking at, um, someone like Jordan or, or even like Kirk. Where it's like, yeah, I'm the best, and then you see nothing but a track record of them being nearly perfect at everything. Exactly. Oh, that was, uh, sorry, sorry, I was just staring at the the chick again. Cool. That I pink know. dress is doing crazy things to me. Mm. Probably to Kirk, too, but he's hiding oh, it well. Sure. Yeah. He's wearing two girdles this episode. <laughs> <laughs> um. I was then trying to think of a girdle joke, but all I could think is... <laughs> Penis girdle. Exactly. <laughs> Combine it. Yeah, that'll that'll be my book of poetry. Penis girdle. Yep. <laughs> That's just fun to say. Is. I always like uh, part of the reason I always like these episodes like this, whether it's Q or Trelane or uh, this, is that even though part of it is he's omnipotent, but he's also a dickhead. It's also, uh, like this sort of, you almost start to feel sorry for the character because you know, as much as they are kind of dicks and, um, you know, really powerful. Yeah. They're always invariably they're lonely because they don't have anyone else that has that ability or, or anybody else that they see, that they see as intellectually on their level. Right. That's what I'm saying. So there's that loneliness. they're always trying that hole that they're always trying to fill. And it's, Sometimes it's there. Yeah. Sometimes it's in this a episode. Sometimes it's an e- Sometimes it's a weakness. He's gonna fill that hole. Yeah. <laughs> well, in this case, I mean, she's a brilliant scientist, mm. and and he is magic. So I mean, that's that that's probably what attracts him to her, or that she's the only chick that beamed down. Well, and look at her. Come on yeah, now. I have been. She could have an IQ of forty, and I'd probably be like, "Let's get married. <laughs> it's fine." <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm as long okay. as you as long as you as long as you pretend to laugh at my jokes that you don't get, that's fine. Yeah, oh that no, that's I'll great. gladly pretend to laugh at yours. <laughs> this kind of shows one thing that I almost miss about old school TV and movies. Mm-hmm. They loved when they were like during intense discussions or even sometimes there's soliloquies when uh you know or like when one person's talking to the other it's just like we're gonna spend 10 minutes just showing close-up of the characters faces oh yeah with no hesitation you know well that's why it's always so easy for me to find um images for the website for each episode oh yeah especially there's, there's always good, probably, oh yeah there's always just... great shots of people of just still images mm-hmm well, it's probably an interesting uh, sort of switch as far as what it takes to be a successful actor or actress. Because back then, you know, your face had to be expressive. You didn't necessarily have to be moving. I mean, Kirk doesn't really move much except in a fist fight. Sure. But it's his, you know, it's his weird facial expressions and all that that make him compelling. Well, I mean, think about it. Why do we still have headshots for actors? Right. Do you know True. how easy um, it is for them to just upload a YouTube video? Why are they still attaching a picture? Like, it's this time-honored tradition of showing that picture of being expressive, excuse mm. me, expressive or emotional or... Right. And, and it's very clearly outdated, but I mean, when you look back, you needed that back then. Because we didn't have, like, back then you didn't have the ease of just being like, oh, I'm going to click this thing on my laptop that's going to take a magic picture that I can upload. Right. Yeah, I mean, I agree to a point. Like, well, I was the one who brought it up. I do agree it's sure. to a point. It's outdated. I think it's still obviously important for actors. But you're right. It's uh, it's just I I don't know. I guess it's interesting to me, and this is something that I'm literally thinking of and talking about on the spot because mm-hmm. it's a conclusion I've never drawn before. But it seems like just based on God knows what society technology at the time. Yeah. Old shows, old movies were so much more individually character and actor driven like that. Yeah. Whereas you had to, you know, even, even the secondary characters in TOS have to have the ability to deliver, you know, a five minute heartfelt, passionate speech where they're just going to be showing your face in just giant close up for five minutes straight. Oh yeah. You know, you have to have those chops. Whereas now, you know, Unless you're a leading man or a leading lady, you probably can get away without being able to do that. And you know who could pull that off, I think, the best out of any of the characters on Trek? Is that, honestly, DeForest Kelly. Oh, Bones, yeah. Anytime oh, he yeah. had a long rant or something to say, it mm. felt like a, a punch in the brain. Because, oh, yeah. like, it was always, he always sounded, he's, he's who I wanted to be, like, a real doctor. Because he mm. always sounded so smart and so down to earth and so, he was like the tell it like it is sort of doctor. Right. Which is a weird juxtaposition to, to have as a character, but he was the, the street smart one. Oh, totally. Well, I love, uh, he does, I think he's a fantastic character in the sense that you don't, at least for me personally, you don't go through the series necessarily liking him and empathizing with him. At least I don't. Yeah. Not, I mean, not always. I'm not saying I think he's a dick. No. But, doesn't always draw that empathy and everything, but he, he does a really good job of drawing that sort of respect. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And and again, back to my point where he was, that character is pretty much made for Spock mm. to be the other side. Oh, totally. I'm trying to think, Plus, did you the, see a Mirror Universe version of Bones? You probably I, did. I, I can't remember I I can't Mirror right Mirror well enough, which is funny because it's an episode I've seen a million times, but now... Now thinking about it on the spot, I can't uh, picture Mirror Universe Bones. Well, I forget, yeah, because there's only, what, like, in the first Mirror Mirror, there's only, what, like, three... Well, it's like three of them end up in the Mirror Universe, right? And then three of Mirror Universe end up in the normal universe. And I feel like Bones Mirror might end up in the normal universe, so we don't see hardly any of him. But I Uh, might be wrong on that. Yeah. I will say too, I love the handful of times where uh Bones gets kinda goofy and silly. 
Oh yeah. Um, the, uh, what episode is that where at the very end he he shuts everybody up and says breaks the fourth wall and says I finally got the last word. <laughs> like I, it's so yeah stupid. It really is so stupid and cheesy. But he has this goofy grin on his face, and you could just tell that he wasn't acting like he was actually really excited that he finally got to give the last word of an episode. Sure. Like he, you know. Well, that, that's something kind of fun about old TV shows. Is it, it was still almost that stage format mm. where you could do stuff like that every once in a while and it wasn't so jarring that it would kill you. It's not like if you were watching, like, uh, name a modern show. Uh, How I Met Your Mother. There you Lost. go. Yeah, there you go. And, and somebody just looks at the camera and says something directly mm. to, to you or to the cameraman. Right. Like, that would not play now. Back then, you kind of had the freedom because TV was still, even after a decade or so, it was still kind of a novelty, mm-hmm. and it was still this other this this new stage to stand on. Mm. Well, I think that spe- I mean technology's played a role in there too mm-hmm. because I think that even the old shows that you get caught up in, just because the technology is so obviously, you know, it's so obvious that it's entertainment that you're watching the entire time. It's much less jarring for someone to give a little wink to the camera or something sure. like that. Cause the, you know, the, the fourth wall is, it's sort of obvious that you're watching a television show. Yeah. Whereas now, you know, a lot of the, especially the more, you know, intense drama series of the past five or six, ten years are just, they take themselves so seriously, but they do such a great job of just, being as sort of gritty and realistic as possible. Well, because TV shows be now want you to be sitting in the room with the characters. Mm-hmm. Whereas back then this was still, uh, the metaphor I just made, the, it was a stage. It was a right. stage. Right, you're in the audience. Yeah. yeah. And so I, it, it is kind of a, you know, old TV versus new TV, it's not the same animal. Mm. Oh, so, totally. But, you know, I, I almost sort of miss the old way. Like, this is fun. Mm. It, as silly as... Star Trek can be at times. It's really fun just to watch what's ha- the spectacle that you get from some of these episodes is so much fun. Oh right, that it's I a don't good... need the high drama sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's a good, like you said, it's sort of a stage. It, it was a good. I mean, now it seems like a good happy medium between stage and modern television, but I guess it was probably more of a bridge at that point between yeah. stage, stage acting, stage plays. And, uh, yeah, but I mean, if you to... even look at the last episode of Enterprise, mm-hmm. where they kind of basically tell you, it's like, yeah, you've kind of been sitting with the crew the whole time because you get, uh, Riker is going through a holodeck program of, right. of riding along on the Enterprise. And like, that's mm-hmm. kind of how the audience is meant to feel throughout that show is like, oh, you've been with them the whole time. Where it's like, when I watch TOS, I'm not thinking like, oh, these, I went on a, a long trip with these characters. Like, like I got from watching Lost or from watching The Shield, where it's like, oh, I've, right. been, I've been, you know, sitting next to these people for the past how many years? Mm. With Star Trek, it's like, I've watched you guys do some cool stuff. And oh, it's yeah. a completely different feeling. Mm. I mean, to me, actually, and this sound, this may sound like I'm belittling it, and I'm definitely not. Yeah. But to me, I think watching TOS, you get, I get the same sort of sense of, fun and wonder as I did when I was a kid watching whatever it happened to be that I was watching, whether it was Star Wars to, uh, I'm about to name some terrible cartoons. I was going to say like the, uh, He-Man or the D&D cartoon or, uh, Conan the Adventurer. Like, not that it's a similar thing, but it's a similar style where it's just like, there's no qualms against, hey, you're watching this larger-than-life story. Yeah. You know? and, you know, and here's should... just the story. It has a beginning, middle, and end. Now we're done with the story. Like, you know, you, that modern TV doesn't really do that to me much. No, this, no, no. You know, old TV, sometimes it does seem too cheesy. But sure. that sort of... But, you know, I, I have been watching, I watch a lot more um, kids stuff with my nephew. And, mm. and you're right, it doesn't have that same sort of wonderment mm. that a show like He-Man had. Because I, I loved yeah. the Masters of the Universe, loved Transformers, loved G.I. Joe, loved all that stuff. Right. And there's nothing that's quite the same right now, only because I think 
nowadays it's such a goal to try to not be that cheesy old standard for kids' shows. Right. When the cheesy old standard really had something going for it, it had staying mm-hmm. power. Well, it was a, I mean, I think for the first, oh, for a long time, but especially in like 70s, 80s, early 90s-ish, uh, kid shows were designed from the point of view of marketing. Making, well, yeah, obviously, but um, making storybooks into a different format. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And now it's lessons. a little different. Now it's like they stand on their own. They're trying to be their old. You know, it's a whole different sort of feel, which I won't say it's better or worse, but it's just different. Yeah, it, it seems like a lot of the times they're trying to tell stories above the age level of their audience. Right. And, and that's so strange to me, like where, um, uh, we'll say like Adventure Time. Which I have never seen, but I need to. I have, uh, I've watched a good handful. I I've, think I've seen almost all of it at this point, and it's it's a great show. It's really funny. It's really fun. The age group that uh, should be watching it will have no idea what the fuck is happening in that show. It's absurdist it. humor. It's well-written jokes. Mm-hmm. Little kids don't get that. Like, well, I'm sure. The first time I ever heard of it actually was uh, at some. I was at a club and uh, two intoxicated young women. And I say young women; they were about probably 22, 23 years sure. old. Um, we're talking about how they were dorks, and I like, I was like, "What do you mean?" Like, and she's like, oh, "They were like, oh, we like uh, you know, cartoons and some dorky shows." I was like, "What?" And they started singing the Adventure Time theme song. Yeah, and I was like, "I have no idea what that is." Mm-hmm. And they were like, "Oh, you have to watch it; it's awesome." And I was like, "Why?" You know. And then yeah. looking into it more, I still haven't seen it, but the only people I've ever seen praising that show are twenty plus. Yeah, all the people I know that enjoy like it too, but you know, yeah, maybe. But um, so basically, what I'm drawing from all this is we should actually do an episode where, uh, or or just a mini episode or something like that, where we go through and we watch uh, an episode of Star Trek: The Animated Series. Oh, definitely. I've never, I haven't seen a single episode, ever seen it. Yeah, no. So I, I would love to go through and watch that with you, so you and I can have the same perspective on this. And just kind of see, like, what what was was this? I mean, obviously, it doesn't have the staying value because we we weren't brought up on it. Like right. shows from that era, you can still like. I watched Speed Racer when I was younger, and that's an old show. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it it clearly wasn't the amazing show that a lot of kids shows from that era, um, were or possessed or or whatever the the je ne sais quoi was with old TV shows that make them last forever. Right. Um, but I'm I'm curious as to how that plays into the Star Trek universe on the whole. Yeah, I really don't know. Um It was all the main I, cast. Hell, right. there's episodes I just with don't know Sarah if they if it. they really try to play it down to a younger age level or if they kept it pretty straight. I, I, I have no idea. And see that would have been a great opportunity to have like if that could have been the first show that kids could watch with their parents. Where it's mm. like, Oh, like my mom or my dad is a Trekkie. Uh, this is a show for me, but they're watching it with me and being like, hey, this is pretty cool. That would be a really interesting thing to look into. Right. Well, I think that's something, that's one thing interesting that happened, particularly starting about when, when we were younger mm-hmm. in the 90s, is that these cartoon shows, a lot of them were being written and marketed to young parents. Sure. Because they realized that it doesn't really matter what the kids love and don't love. No, if because the parents parents kind of control it, it anyway, you know. Yeah, and and one show that does that really well, which I this is going to sound funny, Sesame Street. They mm. parody whatever is popular at the moment, mm. and use it to teach you know counting or, or letters or phonics oh, or oh, whatever. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> there you go. Mm. Yeah, um, I know how to count. But I mean, the, that is great. I know my sister has watched a little bit of Sesame Street with with her son, and it's funny because uh, I think she may have even been the one that showed me like the the Cookie Monster Call Me maybe thing, mm. and that was which great. I've still not seen, but I've heard it heard about it. It was a song about sharing, and they did a whole music <laughs> video, and it was with this super trendy song that was new and hip and popular, and they they brought it around to the thing where like this goes viral, this sort of thing that the adults are sharing on their Facebook pages, right. So. Well, I remember it's it wasn't a hip and modern song, but I remember the when the Muppets uh, 
Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh my god, that was amazing. Too. That was a great, great example of something that really, I'm sure six year olds loved it and I loved it too. Oh yeah, for uh, me that like hit the nail right on the head because I'm a huge uh, Muppets fan to begin with. Oh yeah. Uh, huge Queen fan to go along with it. Of and of putting those two things together, that, that was just one of those things where it's like, wow, that was a smart move person who really came up with that. Very well done to whoever came up with that idea. Oh Bravo. yeah. Yeah, and that's, uh, uh, oh, well, we've gotten, uh, <laughs> severely off topic, but, uh, again. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, who mourns for Adonis? <laughs> so, uh, uh, another great example of the, uh, omnipotent dickhead that, uh, gets, uh, beaten by the truck crew's, uh, logic and humanity. And cunning. Don't forget and the cunning. cunning. Uh, unflappable cunning. <laughs> Unflappable yeah. indeed. So hey, if you want to catch us online, you can find us over at, uh, battleplanetpodcast.com slash trexticles. If you want to follow us on Twitter, it is, uh, at symbol thingy, uh, trexticles. That's T-R-E-K-S-T-I-C-L-E-S. If you want to email us, it's trexticles at gmail.com. If you want to follow me personally, you can find me, uh, on Twitter at the bad Pat Ryan, one word. And Jake, do you have yourself Twitter yet? I do, actually. I do. Um, I've just started up this new, uh, tweet, tweet him a jig. <laughs> okay. I'm not sure how it works. Technical um, term. I am at Fitz and Toaster. It's, uh, <laughs> F-I-T. <laughs> Shh, don't laugh. I'm okay. trying to give out my, okay. F-I-T. Uh, how do, I don't even know how I spelled it. F-I-T-Z-E-N-T-O-A-S-T-E-R. That the is only thing at... harder to spell on the fly than Trextacles. <laughs> It might be harder to spell than my real name, which is shocking. But <laughs> well, there you go. yeah. So that's all we've got for right now. I want to thank you guys all for tuning in, uh, and you know, subscribe to us on the iTunes. Tell your friends about us, and well, hopefully, we've got some more fun coming up for you next week. I think we got a treculation somewhere down the pipeline. So you guys have a wonderful week, and we will see you next time. Live long and pumpkin. Yep. As long as we're dumb together. <laughs> <laughs>